0: Page 330, if you're using a Bible that's provided for you under the seat in front of you. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this evening, this beautiful time of worship. And Lord, I pray that we would individually have the same courage, the same faith, And the same perspective that David had. Father that we would be aware of. How powerful you are. And that you're always with us. And that we walk in complete victory as your children. We praise you Lord. Lord, tonight for your awesome might and power. And I pray that you would bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's begin this awesome story in verse 1. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Siko and Azekah in Ephes, Damin. Don't test me on that pronunciation. <laughs> and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle ray against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. So you can see that the stage is set for a great battle between the Philistines and the Israelites under the leadership of King Saul. You can see that the Philistines are on the attack. They've already made it into Judah territory, as it says in verse 1. The battle is going to take place at the Valley of Elah, On one mountain over here, you have the Philistines. On this mountain over here, you have the Israelites. And they are about to charge down that mountain and fight a long, drawn-out, bloody war. That's the situation we have here. Now, I want to remind you that... The nation of Israel, remember as we studied a couple of weeks ago, wanted to be like the other nations, so they wanted a king like the other nations. And one of the main reasons they wanted a king was so that their king would lead them in battle. Their king would go before them and fight victoriously. So you remember that story, and they chose Saul, right? Saul was the biggest stud in the nation. He was the tallest man of all men in the nation of Israel, looked very kingly, very warrior like. And so Saul should be able to lead them into victory here. That's what they're depending upon. Well, the Philistines, wanting to avoid a long drawn out bloody war, they come up with a challenge. They come up with a proposal, something that they can do instead of an all-out fight between the armies. Look at verse four. It says, "And a champion and, and a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Goth." Doesn't that just sound like the ultimate villain? <laughs> Goliath from Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So everybody understands the proposal here, right? The challenge. Instead of both armies fighting, two champions will fight. A champion from the Philistines And a champion from Israel. They'll go down their mountains and they'll meet in the valley of Elah. And they will have a fight to the death. And Goliath says, if you win, if your champion wins, you win the war, we'll serve you. If I win, then we win the war and you serve us. A lot at stake here. And this champion, this Goliath, giant behemoth of a man. The most intimidating warrior you would ever lay your eyes on. The measurements in verse 4 indicate that he was 9 feet, 9 inches tall. I brought a little visual aid tonight. I'm not fixing the roof tonight. Nobody's fixing the roof. That's a 10-foot ladder. I'm looking for someone real tall. Dennis Stout, come forward. Come forward, buddy. Big basketball player. Come stand next to that ladder. How tall are you, brother? Dennis is 6'2", big strong man. Stand right there next to that ladder. <laughs> Goliath was nine feet, nine inches. Thank you. Let's all give Dennis a hand. Nine feet, nine inches. All muscle. Strong as an ox. He had a bronze helmet on that was about 30 pounds. 30 pounds on your head. He had a coat of mail protecting his upper body, also made of bronze. Get this, 150 pounds. 150 pounds just on his upper body. He had bronze armor on his legs, protecting his thigh, shins, calves. This guy would have looked like a human tank... Walking at you like one of those weird transformer robot guys. <laughs> he had a javelin across his shoulders, um, which most Hebrew scholars believe this was more like a one of those curved swords. Right there, also weighing 25 pounds, he had a spear, and the iron tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Now, just as a point of reference, you know how much a shot put uh, weighs. 16 pounds. So he's got a 15-pound iron tip that he holds at the end, out at the end of his spear. Very intimidating. He also has a shield guy. So there's a man who goes in front of him carrying the shield. A standing shield that can offer Goliath complete and total protection. How'd you like to meet that in a dark alley? (laughs) You know, some people, uh, they wonder, oh, come on, how can this be? Really? A guy this big? Anybody recognize that guy? That's Andre the Giant, a pro wrestler. His height was seven foot five inches the man weighed 525 pounds. He had a chest size of 71 inches. Biceps, 21 inches. His thighs were 36 inches. It's funny, when I was a kid in Albuquerque, my best friend's dad was a high up in the management of cores. Of all companies, Cores terrible connection for me as a teenager by the way going and he had access to tickets and one day the the wrestling federation came to Albuquerque and, and we got front row tickets right there by the alley this man walked right by me I have never seen something so big in my life the biggest man I've ever seen two feet shorter than Goliath You see that okay? That's Robert Pershing Waldlow, born in 1918 and out in Alton, Illinois. He grew to be 8 feet 11 inches. This man was 6 foot 2 when he was 8 years old. 8 years old. True story, there's a picture of him. So people say, can there be giants? There absolutely can be giants. And back in those days, if you remember the story, there was the Anakim which were a weird uh, tribe of men that were giants like Goliath. So here he comes into the valley. I challenge someone to a fight to the death. Now you're going to see later that for the next 40 days, Goliath would make this challenge morning and evening. So this opportunity to have a one-on-one showdown will exist for 40 days. Every day for 40 days, Goliath comes down, I'll take anyone on in the morning and in the evening. Well, what's the reaction to this guy? Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were <laughs> dismayed and greatly Afraid. That Hebrew word dismayed means utterly shattered. Spirits completely shattered. Utterly afraid. Now, who should have been the guy to step up to the plate? Saul. Who was the tallest in his nation? He should have been the champion. Saul doesn't want any part of that. No part of that. Okay, meanwhile, 12 miles east of the Valley of Elah, in the little city of Bethlehem, there's a young, small, teenage boy by the name of David, watching sheep for his dad named Jesse. He's the youngest of eight sons. And you should know at this point in the story that David has already been anointed by Samuel the prophet as the next king of Israel. You should also know that at this point in the story, the Spirit of God has been poured out upon David. Look what he's doing. Verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse, here's where the plot thickens, had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul, David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here's a kid. He's a kid. He's a teenager. He's way out in the middle of nowhere. He's watching sheep. His three older brothers are part of Saul's army. So they are on the front lines with Saul. They're right there at the Valley of Elah. Those three guys are listening to the taunts of Goliath. Day after day after day. And occasionally, Jesse would send David on an errand to the front lines to bring care packages to his older brothers and then to get news about how things are going and he'd come back and bring that. So David's an errand boy. And Jesse is about to send him on an errand like that at a very critical moment. Look what we read in verse 16. It says, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Now remember, I already told you that. You have an open window, a forty-day opportunity. I believe we've reached day forty. This is the fortieth day of the open window. This is the final time that Goliath will come out and offer a challenge if nobody accepts the challenge that morning, there's going to be an all-out war. And it's on that morning that Jesse sends David with an errand. Look what it says in verse 17. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand. Got to please the captain. And see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines or getting ready to fight. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Now I love it. David is so obedient. I love that detail that before he left, he made sure the sheep were taken care of. Did you see that? He makes sure the sheep are taken care of. Grabs the sack lunch. Very early in the morning. Runs to the front lines. Hands over the supplies to the supply keeper and then goes to his brothers on the front line. When he gets to the front line, there's a whole lot of activity happening. They're getting in battle array. They're getting ready. That's why I believe this is it. This is almost the last day. The 40-day challenge is almost... And David makes it to the front lines right at that critical moment. And let me point this out to you as well. Look how completely trivial, normal, unremarkable, simple this task was that David did. He's an errand boy. Just taking a lunch to his brother. He has no idea that on that day he's going to do one of the greatest things in the history of Israel. He has no idea that that's going to be one of the most fantastic days, not only in his life, but in the life of the nation. The stuff of legends is going to happen on that day. And I point that out to you because you see that a lot in the Bible. A lot of places in the scripture... People are just doing normal stuff. Just very simple, ordinary, everyday thing. And it's in that moment that God turns those into these very big, amazing things. Do your best, my brother and sister in Christ. Do your best in the ordinary situations of life. Because you never know when God can use an ordinary situation as the beginning of something very wonderful in your life. David had no idea what's about to happen. Well, there he is. He's at the front line. And here comes Goliath. Verse 23. Then as he, David, talked with the folks there, there was the champion, the Philistine of Goth, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. This is the final challenge. Goliath has come down, his booming voice, his final challenge The reaction is the same as it's been for all 40 days. Everybody runs and hides. (laughs) Nobody steps up. There's only one thing different. There's a man of God present now. There's a young man with a big faith and a big God present. It says there at the end of verse 23, David heard them. This is the first time David hears those words. This is the first time David Sees Goliath. And you know what? David is disgusted with this guy. Look what it says in verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter. And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So you notice nobody has stood up. Saul hasn't stood up. And we read here that he's actually put forth a cash reward for anybody among the nation who would be willing to go down and take on Goliath. You get riches, your father's house will be exempt from taxes for life, and you'll get my daughter as your wife. And still, even with that, nobody's volunteered. It's sad. Sad situation. You look at the army of Israel. David's like, what's this I hear? A rewards being offered for whoever takes out this scumbag? Wouldn't that be reward enough that we eliminated this guy? That's what it means in the Hebrew. Why an award? It's award enough to get rid of this guy. David is absolutely disgusted with Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this pagan worshiper of dead gods? And how dare he come forward and mock my God, my living God? Do you see the different perspective there? Everyone else is afraid of Goliath. David's like, who is this fool that would have the nerve to defy the army of the living God? Incredible. Verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, why did you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Great older brother, right? David, he's essentially saying, David, you're a punk. What are you doing here? Don't you have some sheep to take care of? You're too young and too small to even be in the military. You came to pack our lunch. Isn't that terrible when you get discouraging words from your family? You ever had that happen? Where you, you want to be a champion for the Lord? You want to serve Christ? You want to go for it? And, and people real close to you, maybe even immediate family, say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa down. Don't, don't get too out of control. Or they even discourage you. If that's ever happened to you, you're in good company. Look what they did to David. Moses was criticized by his brother and his sister. Look how Joseph's brothers treated Joseph. Remember also that Jesus was discouraged by his family. His mother, Mary, his half-brothers, at one point during his public ministry, literally thought Jesus was out of his mind. And they even tried to stage an intervention to get Jesus out of public. Listen, if that happens to you, I know it hurts and it's very difficult, but you need to serve the Lord. You need to serve the Lord. And I I do believe your family members will come around. They'll come around. You just stay faithful to the Lord. So David's talking a pretty big game here, isn't he? He's got some words telling all the soldiers out there. Will he live up to those words? Look at verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to whom? Saul. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I... Love that. Don't let any of these tough soldiers hearts fail. For fear. He said. I'll take him. This kid. I your servant. I'll fight the man. Verse 33. And Saul said to David. You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. Saul said. Have you looked in the mirror, David? Have you seen the guy that's coming out into the valley of Elah? Look at you. You're a kid. You're a teenager. You're too young. You're too small to even make the military. What do you mean? I can't send you. Now, again, look at this. Not only does young teenage David have to fight Goliath. But he also has to fight all of the discouraging voices all around him. Nobody believes David has a chance. No one. I want you to notice what David says to Saul here. This is very important. And I'm going to come back to this in just a bit. Look at verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is so important. He says, Saul, I know I don't look like a lot. But I want you to know that I have had experience in private, in private with monsters. I've been out in the middle of nowhere with sheep. And there have been bears that have come and tried to take one of my sheep. There have been lions that have come and tried to take one of my sheep. And you know what? I've gotten every sheep back. I've gone after every one. I've killed the bear. I've killed the lion. I love it. I've grabbed them by their beards. It says, God has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion. This guy, this guy out in the valley... He's just another wild animal trying to rip off one of God's sheep. I'll take him. Just as God delivered me from the lion and the bear. He'll deliver me from Goliath. End of verse 37. Saul said to David, go. And the Lord be with you. (laughs) I love that. It's so easy to tell other people. Go. And the Lord will be with you. Why didn't Saul go believing that the Lord would be with him? Go. The Lord be with you. And then I think one of my favorite details of the whole story. So verse 38. Saul clothed David with his armor. And put a bronze helmet on his head. He also closed them with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I've not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. I remember when my, my boys were so young and we were at a place where they were able to try on adult-sized football helmets and shoulder pads. And it just looked ridiculous. Um, they could move their head and the helmet would keep <laughs> facing forward and this is how I sort of picture David they, you know Goliath he's, he's dressed in bronze David we need to dress you in bronze and Saul gives David his armor and Saul's big David's small he, 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 can't, he can't carry that weight and he hasn't tested it. and there's a great lesson here you know what the lesson is be you. Be you. Don't try to wear somebody else's armor. Be who God has made you. Do what God has called you to do. You know, I think a lot of times as Christians, we look at other Christians and we compare ourselves to them. Oh, that guy's so gifted. Oh, that gal is so gifted. If only I could be like that guy or that gal in ministry. And, and maybe we even begin to mimic that person that 's like trying to wear armor that doesn 't belong to you be you god 's gifted you god 's given you a place to fight in the battle. Find out what God has called you to do and, and, and get and get to it. David would prefer a staff <laughs> A sling, five stones, and a pouch. No armor. And here he's going up against the human tank. And he draws near him. I don't know if you can see that real well. But I, I look for some, I think that just really captures what this young boy is going to deal with. And away he goes. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? That you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Now I think it took some time before Goliath even knew what was coming at him. I mean, he looks out on the horizon. Somebody's coming. There's no glittering. There's no sparkle so, whoever's coming doesn't have any armor. And the kid's so young, it takes him a while. Who is this guy? David finally gets there. Goliath sees what they sent out and he's insulted. He is utterly insulted. This is your champion? Are you kidding me? What do I look like a dog? Be coming at me with sticks? And then right there at the end, he goes, okay, if that's who you're going to send, come to me, little man, and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I want you to notice the detail right there at the end of verse 43. It says, and the Philistine cursed David by what? by his gods. That's an important detail. I want you to understand something. This really isn't a fight between Goliath and David. This is a fight between Goliath's dead gods and David's living God. And and please understand, the only one who knew that that was going on was David. David knew this is a contest between gods. Hmm. Come to me, I'll give you I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. Look at David. I love it. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with this a- No, I'm kidding. He didn't do it like that. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran. Toward the army to meet the Philistine. This is, this is so amazing. David's like, you come with your puny little weapons. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He says, I'm going to strike you down and I'm going to cut off your head. Which is interesting, he doesn't have a sword. (laughs) Did you notice that David isn't just taking on Goliath? He's taking on the whole Philistine army. Here's a guy's Goliath, I'll feed your carcass to the birds. David, I'll feed the carcasses of the entire Philistine camp to the birds. And to the beasts of the field. This is a a guy who's going to take on the entire army. And then I love that scene there at the end. I mean, there's no intimidation. There's no hesitation. He just ran. Here's a kid running directly at that thing. Hmm. Verse 49. Then David put his hand in his bag. Took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the so- stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. This, is, this guy was deadly with the sling. One, one stone, one shot, hit dead bullseye, the only exposed part of that human tank, right there in the forehead. End of verse 50. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, And killed him. And cut off his head with it. Do you remember that graphic part of the story when you were growing up as a kid? David took his head. With his own sword. And of course look what happens. After this tremendous victory. End of verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Wait a minute, they're supposed to become servants, right? No, they fled. Verse 52, now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted. Can you imagine how shocked they were? And pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherryim, even as far as Goth and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. This would be much later in life. Keeping somebody's severed head as a keepsake. And he put his armor in his tent. And this is what would catapult David into the limelight of Israel. From here, everybody will love David. Everybody will want David to be king. And of course Saul, very soon here, will become extremely jealous of David and eventually try to kill David and chase him all over the wilderness for ten years before David is able to become the next king of Israel. What a story, though, huh? What an incredible story. Let me, let me just say a few things. You know, all of us tonight, as Christians, we have enemies. We have enemies. We have big problems that we're facing. Some of us tonight are facing enemies problems, trials that are very intimidating, like Goliath. They look terrible. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's you know, maybe it's satanic attack. Maybe it's demonic attack in your life. Maybe it's somebody in your life And it's intimidating. Goliath was intimidating. There are big problems that we face. We need to handle those like David. We need the same perspective on our problems as David had with that giant. See... Everyone else in the story, all they could see was Goliath, right? That's all they could see, Goliath. Their their eyes are focused on Goliath. That's all they could see, and they're terrified. David's picture of Goliath included God in the picture. And when God's in your picture, giants look like midgets. Because God is way more powerful. And, and I, I, I just, I want to encourage you. Keep God always in your frame of reference. Keep God in your picture. No matter what you're facing, child of God. No matter what battle. No matter what enemy. No matter what trial. No matter what problem. God is bigger. And way more Powerful. Please, if you belong to God, keep him in your picture. You can face anything. God, the same God who was with David against Goliath, is with you. So we need to keep that perspective. Secondly, David had a big faith. He had a big faith. See, since God was in his picture, and God, you know, David saw God in everything, he had faith. He had an extraordinary amount of faith in God. And he moved in the power of God. He stepped out in faith. I mean, this is, this is big time faith in this story. Why did he pick up five stones when he only needed one? We find out later in the scripture that Goliath had four brothers And there's no doubt that his four brothers were right there on the front lines getting ready to mix. David's like, I'm taking all five out. I'm taking them all out. There's five giants. I only need five stones. And, again, that scene with him running at the whole army. This is big faith. My brother and sister in Christ, have big faith. Big faith in a big God. Think big, dream big. If God's telling you to do something, man, do it. And go full throttle. Do you believe we have a big God? Has he told you to do something lately and you're like, oh, I don't know. Looks kind of scary. Keep God in your picture. Have faith in him. Now, the other thing we see here about David, which is so very, very important. Whose glory is he trying to protect in this story? Who's he defending? Now, he's defending God's glory. God's name, God's fame. Now, God doesn't need anybody to defend him. (laughs) He can defend himself. But his people should want to protect the glory and the fame and the power and the majesty of God. See, this, this guy comes out in the valley and he's mocking the living God. David's like, I'm not putting up with that. This was not about his glory. This was not about his own personal name. David is not thinking about that. He's thinking about God. Oh, brother and sister in Christ, see that in every situation in your life. Seek to live in a way that honors the name of God, that magnifies God you ever find yourself in a position as a Christian where you're trying to do stuff to make this big name for yourself change it do what you're doing to make a name for God so that you can point others to God so you can say God did this and then fourth and this is the most important and I get back to what I told you I was going to get back to David had wonderful, private, alone times with God. And I believe that was the real source of his strength. For years, as a teenager, he's out in the middle of nowhere with sheep. Sheep don't talk. He has no other companionship, right? Now, I want you to picture David, this kid, Way out in the middle of nowhere somewhere. No one else to talk to, just watching these sheep. He spent time with God out there. He prayed to God. You do remember that David was a worship leader who wrote many songs. Half the psalms were written by David. Some of the most beautiful psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Written by David. You know, I always picture David out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of sheep sitting at a campfire with his guitar, just making up songs, singing to nobody but the Lord, a private worshiper of God. You know what else he did out there all by himself, all alone? Slingshot practice. How much you want to bet? How many hours do you think David was out there with his sling? Let's get the bullseye. Let's get the bullseye. Hours and hours and hours of practicing in private. In private. See, you got to have private victories before you can have public victories. You've got to be a strong man and woman, man or woman in God privately before you'll ever be strong publicly. I, I really believe that that was the secret of David's power and that was the secret of his faith. He'd spent a lot of alone time with God. He knew God, he trusted God, he was a friend of God. He's called the man after God's heart. In scripture. And oh how powerful he was. That will be the source of our strength. You can't pull it off. If you don't have any. Quality. Alone time with God. I invite you. Christian. Life gets busy. It even gets really busy in the ministry. But if you let that alone time go, your energy zapped. You spend that time with the Lord. (laughs) Kill yourself some lions and bears in private, and then watch God use you in public. Great story, huh? Tremendous lessons. Let's take them to heart. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Lord, if we could only see how big you are daily. If we would only be reminded daily of who you are. How powerful and wonderful you are. And the fact that you're with us wherever we go. Nothing is impossible for you. There is no problem that we could ever face in life that's too powerful for you. Too powerful for us, yes, in our own strength, but not too powerful for you. Lord, we trust you. And I want to pray for those tonight who came with a fear in their heart. Whatever that might be. An issue. Something that's scaring you. I want you to put that fear next to God. Put God in your picture. And you be filled with confidence and faith tonight. You trust your Lord, He's going to get you through. Lord, I would also pray for all of us as your people tonight that that these alone times with you would be often and beautiful. Where we would come to you privately and get big drinks from the well refreshment in your presence. Lord, for those here tonight who have sort of forsaken that, I pray that you draw them back into that beautiful time spent with you. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight Who does not have you in the picture at all. Maybe you're here tonight and you didn't know you could have a relationship with this awesome living God. Maybe you haven't allowed him into your life. Maybe you haven't given your life to him. Maybe you haven't become a child of God. That can happen tonight. You say, Well, I'm doing just fine. I'm handling things myself. I'm strong enough. No, you're not. One day you will find out how weak you are. We need God. All of us need God. You need God. How do I become a child of God? You place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have to acknowledge the truth. That you're a sinner, that you've made a lot of mistakes, and that your sins need to be washed away. All of them, all of them need to be washed away. The blood of Christ washes away all sin. Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin, all your sin. He paid the price. You can be completely forgiven completely forgiven. You could have a brand new start. You can become a child in the family of God tonight. Just bow the knee, bow the heart, humble yourself. Say, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I have to have you. You ask him to save you and he will, and you'll become a child of God. God will be in your picture. I invite you to pray that prayer with me right now. The Holy Spirit is calling you to do that. You do that right now. Don't wait. Say, Lord, I want you in my picture. I want you in my life. I need you. Wash away all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising rising again that third day. Make me born again tonight. Give me a brand new start tonight. Make me your child tonight. Fill me with your spirit and help me to grow in my relationship with you. Begin tonight to repair the damage I've done in my life. Change me. Give me the faith of a David. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to come forward and just share that with one of us. We're going to stand and we're going to sing this last song together. Several of us are going to be right up here in the front. I'd like you to come and and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. We'd like to talk with you more. If you need prayer for any reason, we're going to be available up here for the remainder of the service and after the service. So let's stand. And let's see.